John chapter 12, verse 25. I'm just going to read one verse this morning. Jesus said, He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. We need to hear what God's Word has to say this morning. I pray that, honestly, I pray you're dialed in. I pray you tuned in this morning and are listening. This is very important. All of God's Word is important. God wants us to hear what He has to say this morning. There's, there's much confusion in the world today as to what comprises Christianity. There's much confusion in the Christian world today about what is a Christian. What is Christianity? There's much confusion. God's not confused. His Word's not confused. He knows exactly what it is. This verse that we read from John 12, 25, Jesus is not sharing the Gospel in the sense of the plan of salvation, the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of, of Jesus. He's not sharing uh, Romans 10, 9, and 10 uh, in the sense of if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, we shall be saved. What He is sharing and stating very clearly in this passage in John 12, 25 is what Christianity is. He's given a description of it. It's a new life. It's a changed life. He's telling us what it is. And I just want to get right into it this morning. We're going to look at it again. I'll repeat the verse several times. I pray you've memorized it by the time we're through with this message. John 12, 25. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. He that loveth his life. This is what we're going to start with right here. This is not agape love. This is the phileo love. This is the love. Uh, the definition is to be fond of. A personal attachment. Now remember what we're saying. He that loveth his life shall lose it. It means to be fond of. To have a personal attachment. Personal sentiment or feeling. And, I'll, and this one is, is very telling as well. Deliberate assent of the will. To where you're purposely setting your will to, to be fond of someone. To have an attachment uh, of someone or something. He that loveth his life shall lose it. Shall lose it. Lose here means to perish. To destroy. To die. To be lost. He that loveth his life shall lose it. This is an unmistakable, definitive truth from the Word of God. It does not change based on how you or I feel about it. It doesn't change from age to age. That, oh, this, this is fine in Jesus' day or in the Bible days, but life's different now. It doesn't change based on the individual. Uh, this, this works for a young person, but not for an old person. An old, for an old person and not for a young person. This doesn't change. This is a reality from the Word of God, a spiritual truth, a spiritual law, if we want to call it that, that does not change because I don't like it when I read it. And so I'll find another Bible, another translation. There's so many, right? Find another translation that omits that Scripture or that waters it down or softens it somewhat. Or I'll just choose to ignore it and go on and call myself a Christian anyway. Uh, it doesn't change based on what's popular in the church world. It doesn't change based on what's popular in the lost world. Or it doesn't change based on the opinion of a psychiatrist or social worker or teacher in a school or a school counselor. 
It doesn't change uh, at all it, the, from those that tell us that we need to love ourselves. But the Bible says here that he that loveth his self, his life shall lose it. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world, I think that's very important, in this world, shall keep it unto life eternal. And there's a period there. And here's this sentence and this statement from Almighty God and the Son of God. And it stands there for us to see. And it stands there for us to, to look at and say, am I going to do that or not? Am I going to agree with that? Am I going to consent to that? Am I going to bow to that and come under the authority of that? Am, am I going to make this my life? What Jesus said here, he that hateth his life. I wanted to find that word as well. And, and actually, there is a definition here for hateth. It means detest. But really, the, the thought here, and it's all through the uh, several other examples, and we're going to read one. The word hate here, he that hateth his life in this world. Hate here is actually a, an idiom. It's an idiom or a preferential term for, uh, for preference. It actually means to love less. Okay, to love less. So it's not hate like we think we were to hate evil, right? Love, cling to the good and, and love the good and hate the evil. It's not really that definition. It's an idiom or an expression that means to love less. It's a preferential term. Men are to love God more. Men are to love God most. Men are to love God first. Men are to love God before all else. And I'm just going to read this. If you're taking notes, Luke 14, 26. Jesus said, if any man come to me. And I'll, that, that word if is so important in the Bible because people don't have to come to the Lord. They, they don't always come to the Lord. We're not slaves. We're not spiritual robots that have to walk and follow after God. But he says, if any man come to me and hate not his father, and mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, and his own life. Also, he cannot be my disciple. Again, this is not the plan of salvation. He's not talking about what must I do to be saved, like the Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved in your household. They proceeded to share the word of God with him. And he got saved in his household. This is telling you what a disciple is what this life requires what it means to be a christian a follower of the lord jesus christ so when he says here if any man come to me and does not hate his father and mother and we know we're not to hate our mothers and fathers right this is why i'm explaining this term because hate doesn't mean hate like the test hate means a preferential term hate means uh, that i love god more that i love god most that in compare my, my love for my spouse or my children or my uh, mother and father and so forth in comparison to my love and devotion to Christ. It, in comparison, it's, it's like a hate for these others. But we know we're to honor our mother and father. Husbands, love your wives as your own body, right? So we understand he's not teaching us to hate. We're to love our enemies. We're to love our neighbors as ourselves. Jesus, so we have to understand from the Word of God what He is saying here. It is a preferential term. He's not sharing the Gospel here of how to be saved. He's talking about if you want to be a disciple and a follower of Me through this life and into the next, here's how you have to be. 
This is what is required. This is not cheap grace and it's not cheap salvation. What are we saying? He that hateth his life, going back to John 12, 25, he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. So it's basically saying this, I prefer Christ. When we say I hate my life, I prefer Christ. I choose Jesus. I reject this world and my life in this world as being my God. I reject this world and my life in this world as being what I live for. So I'm hating it in that sense. I'm choosing the Lord Jesus Christ. This world and all that this world offers me, both now and for all times, is not going to be what determines my life or future. It is not what I live for. It is not what I am devoted to. My life here and your life here and a lost man's life here on this earth is fleeting, isn't it? It's but for a moment. Our life, James says, is like a vapor. A vapor. Always, when I think about that passage in James, I always think about, you know, driving downtown Baton Rouge on I-110 like you're heading towards the airport or something. They got off to your left will be Exxon and these chemical plants with the, the stacks coming up, right? And, and you'll see some, some vapor coming up out of the tops of these things. But it doesn't go on forever. It comes up out and it dissipates and it disappears. And, and, and the Bible says this is what our life is like. Talking about on this earth, not eternity. No, not life eternal, but in this life. And the person that hates his life in this life will keep it until life eternal. What are we saying? We're saying what is determined here that God is God requiring here of our lives? What is Jesus, Jesus saying? My temporary life here is not what I live for. My temporal life here is not the most valuable thing to me. Most people, if you ask them the most valuable thing, even if they didn't say these words, the reality would be me. What's the most valuable thing to me? Me. Keeping my life, right? Keeping my life. Isn't that what uh, the devil said to, when he appeared before the Lord, considering Job? Yeah, you know, skin for skin or whatever. He, he said, man will give all to keep his life. And he was wanting to bring accusation against Job and bring his hand against them. But what we're saying when we say, I hate my life in this, in this life, in this world. This world is not my treasure. My life in this world is not my treasure. This world does not contain my treasure. My treasure is in heaven. Amen? And my treasure is Christ Jesus the Lord. Where man sells all. When he get, finds that one pearl of great price and he sells it all for that. You can have all of it. Not 50% of it, not 99% of it. You can take it all. Because I have Christ. My treasure is with the Lord. My treasure is laid up, reserved for me, Peter says. We're, we're uh, undefiled and, and fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for me. My treasure is laid up from heaven in heaven where moth where thieves don't break in and steal and moths don't corrupt and where rust doesn't uh, corrupt it. Our treasure is the Lord. The Apostle Paul at the end of his life when he was about to be martyred for the Lord, Lord says, nevertheless, I'm not ashamed for I know whom I believe 
And I'm persuaded he's able to keep all that I've committed unto him against that day. It was reserved for him. He didn't lose one thing that was his. He didn't want, lose one thing that was any value of any value. This is hating our lives in this life that we may gain the life eternal. I've made my choice. I will live for Christ. This, this world is not what I'm living for. And Jesus, our Lord, says this is the one that's going to keep his life, the life eternal. This is the one. This is not a, a game. This, this statement and this truth that the Lord Jesus makes here. This isn't food for thought. This isn't uh, a Christian slogan that we sing songs about. This isn't uh, warm and fuzzy words to make a man feel religious going through life or a lost man feel good going through life. This is the truth spoken by the truth with a capital T, the way, the truth, and the life. This is the truth spoken by the one who, who died on a cross and shed His blood and died a sinless life for sinners. That all men might be saved. That all men might be forgiven. That all might, men might be justified and reconciled unto this holy God. That all men might know Him and love Him and live with Him and for Him forever in this life and forever after in the life that He gives us. It's ours because, or to anyone, because we hated our life in this world and we kept it for eternity. It's not a, a game. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And I'm going to ask you this morning, you might say, why are we hearing this this morning? We're the church. Hear it, okay? Hear what I'm saying this morning. Take it, receive it. Hear what I'm saying. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And I'll ask the question, am I, are you, loving my life in this life? Am I personally attached to it? Going back to the definition of loving this life. Am I personally attached to my own life, my own feelings, my own will, that basically my will and my feelings are set upon me? Pleasing me, satisfying me. Self-love, self-preservation, self-esteem, self-seeking. If it is, you will surely lose your life. It will perish. You will perish. You will be lost. And your life will be destroyed. The life that you tried to save and keep and hang on to it actually got away from you and lost. Because the only way to keep it is to give your life to Jesus. And to surrender all. Not in name only. Not in a theory. Not joining a church. Not even getting water baptized. But being born again. By the Spirit of Almighty God. We tried to hang on to it. It's a sad story. I believe there are people dropping off. I know there are. Every single day and going to hell. And they were in churches. They grew up in church in churches. They might have served in some way in the church. They're dropping, dying and dropping off and going to hell every single day because they tried to hang on to their life and they lost it. They tried to hang on to their life and they lost it. Jesus gives a parable 
of a, of a rich farmer. We know the story. His crops brought forth plentifully, right? Just super abundantly. I mean, he just struck the lottery with his crops that year. What will I do? I have too much crops. I have too much to, to even store it. I'll tear down these puny little barns and I'll build bigger ones. And I'll store up all my stuff and I'll say to my soul, Soul, thou hast many goods for many days. Eat and relax and take thine ease. You know, just live, just enjoy yourself the rest of your life with all your abundance that you have. And Jesus says, thou fool. This night, your soul is going to be required of you. Then who shall those things be that you've laid up for yourself? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Again, is that the plan of salvation? No. He's telling us what a Christian is. What true Christianity is. Is hating our life in this life and investing it all, surrendering it all, giving it all gladly and willingly and humbly to the Lord by faith. And He takes it and He saves us by His grace. And He makes us His own. The Bible tells us of those tribulation saints, a specific group in, in Revelation 12, and they overcame Him. They overcame the Antichrist. This fierce little horn that the Bible speaks so much about, who's ruling the whole world, they overcame Him. They overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And what's the last one, y'all? They loved not their lives even unto death. This is how we overcome. This is how we gain our life instead of trying to hold on to it. This is not what the world tells you, is it? This message of what Jesus says in John 12, 25. This is not what the world tells you. This is not what your own humanity or carnality tells you or whispers in your ear. This is not what the God of this world tells us. This is what the Son of God tells us. This is what the lover of men's souls tells us. This is what the Savior of the world tells us. The one who after he spoke that laid down his life to purchase eternal redemption that's what it says in Hebrews, has purchased our eternal redemption forever and ever that the blood of bulls and goats could never do. What are we saying here this morning? Listen up is what we're saying here this morning. What God is saying. Pay attention. I don't believe ever, this is my opinion, I believe the, the, the environment of the world and the Word of God would back this up. Never has there been a time when people, in which people were so many people were sleepwalking. Never has there been a time when so many people who claim to know the truth and know Christ are blinded to the truth. Never has there been a time when so many people who claim to know the Lord are ignorant and oblivious to really the truth of God. They're oblivious to their own spiritual condition. Just totally blinded to it. And they're, because they're blinded to their own, they're blinded to the spiritual condition of the world around them. Or their church members, or the people in their church. Never has there been a time, I don't believe, when more people, old people, young people, in our churches think that they're Christians and they are not. Never has there been a time when more people think or assume they're born again and know Jesus 
when they do not. They assume they're going to heaven, to God's holy heaven that he created, and they're not going there. They assume they know Christ. Do you know why so many assume they know Christ in our day? Because somebody tells them that they do. Somebody pats them on the back, tells them they're fine. I'll give a young person, for example, some parent, some youth leader, some pastor, some Christian music group, some chapel speaker, who parades around as a minister of the gospel of Christ who's not even born again themselves tells, tells them that they're saved. Tells another person, you're okay. You're good. Jesus said of the Pharisees in his day, but it's not just the Pharisees in his day. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, they shall, fall, they shall both fall into the ditch. I don't believe there's ever been a time when more people were blinded to the truth. It's a characteristic of the end times, right? Deception. This is the type of deception that's most deadly and dangerous. When somebody who is a youth pastor or a chapel speaker or someone else pats you on the head because you came and, and did some little something in a chapel service and say, you're born again now. Everything's good. Everything's great. I would say, God, help us. Us. God, forgive us. God, wake us up out of our sleep. There was a time in many of our recent church histories where many of us, not saying we weren't saved, but many were sleepwalking to your own admission. God, save us. God, convict us of our sin. God, convict us of our shallowness. God, forgive us of our brand of Christianity in the 21st century. Speaking of the church as a whole, America is a prime example of it. Our brand of what's called Christianity today. It's not Christian at all. Forgive us, Lord, for what we've done with your gospel of truth and gospel of salvation. What we've made it, so to speak. What we've made salvation in our day. What we've made a relationship with Christ when we explain it or require it of someone else. Forgive us, Lord, of what we've done with your standard, which is this word right here. Forgive us, Lord, for what we've done with your commandments and your word of life. And what constitutes or comprises true salvation. Listen, y'all, we want people to be saved, so we tell them that they're saved. We, want, we don't want our children to go to hell. We don't want to think that our children are going to hell, so we tell them that they're saved when we know good and well they're not. We tell them they're saved, and we convince ourselves that they're saved, and there's absolutely zero biblical evidence that they know Jesus Christ. Zero. Oh, you're judging men's hearts. No, don't, don't claim to judge men's hearts. Nor am I supposed to, nor are you. But we're absolutely to judge what we are to judge. And that is the fruit of a life. Well, it takes time to bear fruit. Yes, it does. So I'm not judging anybody. And I can't put anybody in heaven. And I can't put them in hell. 
by my judgment. Okay? But I'm telling you, we'll tell people that they're saved when there is zero evidence, biblical evidence in their life that they know Jesus Christ. No fruit of this new life. No holiness. No desire to be holy. Best Christian is not holy all the time. There's a longing in their hearts to be holy. If they're really saved. Righteous man falls however many times and gets back up again and keeps going, right? We tell people they're saved and there's no repentance in their life. No humility. No love for God. We tell them that they're saved. No desire to please God. No longing to seek after the living God who sent His Son that we might be saved. No desire or practice to pray and commune with this Christ that supposedly saved us. No desire or practice in our lives to read the Word of God, to meditate on the Word of God, to obey and live by God's Word when the, the Lord who gave us this word says man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And David said that the, the blessed man in his law does he delight day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. I tell people they're saved when there's no desire in them to give up their money that they worked hard for to the things of God. No desire to give up their time to the Lord or their service to God. No burden for lost men to come to know Christ. No or very little respect for authority. And we tell them they're Christians. We tell them they're Christians. We tell them they're right with God. They just have a little growing up to do. Y'all heard that statement? I know you have that phrase. There's an elephant in the room. You know what I'm talking about? There's an elephant in the room and nobody wants to acknowledge it. God's going to acknowledge it. It'd be better to acknowledge it now while we're living and breathing and can repent and can, can get our life right with God and can go to this heaven that He made for, for himself and his angels and all the people that, that know Jesus, then when it's too late. We tell people they're Christians, there's an elephant in the room and nobody wants to deal with it. There's an elephant in the room and nobody wants to acknowledge it. You heard another saying, somebody pulled the wool over your eyes, right? In other words, they deceived you. So to me, this is not somebody deceived me. We've deceived ourselves. And we like it that way. We pull the wool all over our own eyes because we'd rather not deal with it. We'd rather convince ourselves that everything's okay with my son or my daughter or my whoever or the kids in my Christian school or whatever it may be. We'd rather convince ourselves that everything's okay. We'd rather convince ourselves that everybody that claims to know Jesus really knows Him because they say they do. When everything in their life shows they don't know Jesus.
Christians today, and I'm putting a quote around it, what's called Christianity today, Christians today love the world. Christians today live for the things of this world. Christians today are enamored with this lost, dark world and seek after this world's pleasures and approval. And yet they proclaim that they're born of God and they play in the praise band. They sing on the praise team and they're youth ministers. Christians today, the only thing that makes them happy or brings any kind of genuine pleasure or joy to their daily lives is not the things of God, but the things of the world. Only things they really get excited about are the things of the world, not the things of God. But we're okay. You adulterers and adulteresses, James says, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whosoever will be a friend of this world is the enemy of God. I'll read this from Matthew 7. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down or cut down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. It's a test for a believer to know if another person is a believer or not. The ultimate test is God knows the heart. God tries the heart. I understand that. He said, I can't put somebody in heaven or hell by my judgment. But I am told for my own protection and for the person maybe I'm trying to witness to, it's important that we be able to know who belongs to the Lord. And so he gives us this. And he says in, in Matthew 12, 33, either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. John the Baptist, baptizing at the Jordan River when he sees the Pharisees come. Don't just say you have Abraham to your father. God can raise up these stones, eh? sons of Abraham. He says, but bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance. There's got to be some fruit. I'm bringing this to a close. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want to deal with a weak, pathetic state of Christianity in our day. Or the weak, pathetic spiritual state of those around us who claim to know Christ because we don't want to deal with it in our own lives a lot of times. There's a demand that God puts on those that know Him and claim to know Him and walk with Him to be a disciple of His. And we don't, we're just not ready to meet that demand quite yet. Paul says in Ephesians 4, Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead. I believe he's writing to Christians here. That whole passage, that whole chapter, that whole book is to the church at Ephesus. He's saying, Awake thou that sleepest. Arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. I want to read this. You've probably heard it before. Leonard Ravenhill, the minister of the Lord, in one of his sermons, you've probably heard it in a recording. 
He's asking the crowd of people, his congregation, whoever he's, whoever he's preaching to that night, if I was to ask you tonight if you were saved, do you say, yes, I'm saved? He would ask, when? And their response is, oh, so-and-so preached, I got baptized. No, are you saved? What are you saved from? Hell? Are you saved from bitterness? Are you saved from lust? Are you saved from cheating? Are you saved from lying? Are you saved from bad manners? Are you saved from a rebellion against your parents? Come on, what are you saved from? Bible says that you and I, this is an opinion, the word of God says in the last days, perilous times shall come. We're in the last days. We're in the latter part of the last days before the tribulation period, before the rapture and the tribulation. But we're living in perilous times. Perilous means difficult. Not just hard that hard to make a living, you know, hard because the environment's doing this or whatever. Difficult, spiritual times. It means dangerous. It means fierce. Would you not agree that we're living in times spiritually that you, the, the, the kingdom of God suffereth violence and the violent take it by force? That you and I better lay hold on this thing and mean it and either mean it or don't mean it. Either make the tree good and its fruit good or, or make it corrupt and the, and the fruit corrupt. We're living in fierce times spiritually. It's not a game. One of the other definitions of perilous, we're living in perilous times. It means reducing the strength. Think about it. There's what's warring against us. Why it's so perilous? Because what's working against us in the darkness that's around us is working to reduce your strength in Christ. It's working to reduce your effectiveness as a witness for Christ, as an ambassador for Christ, and to take your joy, to take away your boldness to share Jesus with a lost person. Or uh, it's harder to share Jesus with somebody you know, isn't it? He's trying, it's working in perilous times to reduce your strength. Well, I'm not going to have my strength reduced in Jesus' name. Because it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. If you're saved and not baptized in the Holy Ghost, pray for that until you receive. If he shows you something that's not surrender, then that's got to be dealt with first. Lord, I give it all to you. Baptize me in your Holy Ghost. It's a gift. I want it. I receive it by faith. If you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, be filled with the Spirit today, not tomorrow, today. If it wakes you up tomorrow, be filled again tomorrow. Our answer to the fierceness, to the perilous times, to the God of this world is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He guides us by His Word. He gives us wisdom. He gives us strength. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. We don't want to deal with it. And we're going to answer to God. We're going to answer to God for how we live for God in this generation. Because this is my generation. Peter and John and Paul and the apostles, they had to answer for God, to God for their generation. At least what they did. You know how Paul says, I'm innocent of the blood of all men? I've shunned not to declare unto you the whole counsel of God and the gospel. He did what God called him to. He didn't share the gospel to every human being he passed. 
he shared the gospel and did everything God called him to on this earth. And we're going to answer to God for how we represent how we represented him on this earth as believers. What we did with his gospel, how we proclaimed his gospel, how we cared for men's souls in our generation. I've said it a thousand times. It is so much easier for me, y'all. I'm being honest. It's so much easier for me to get on a plane, go to Honduras, drive seven hours cramped up in the back of a little van, okay, and get to the hotel, and I don't like the food and, and stuff like that, and get up and go share the gospel with those people around me that I'll never see again. Don't know my name. And I'll use my little bit of broken Spanish. Mi amo es Randy. Yo soy un pastor, un cristiano. And I talk to him about the Lord. Tu conoces Jesús Cristiano? And I'll ask him if they know Jesus and it's terrible. So I've got to get Alberto or somebody to come help me out. I can do that so much easier than I can go to somebody that I graduated high school with or that I work with or that's a peer or, or in my life to go sit down and share. One of my neighbors that I see every day cutting their grass. We're going to give answer to God for how we cared for men's souls in this generation. We need to wake up. Somebody needs to cry out to God. Let it be Cornerstone Church. Amen. Let it be this handful of people right here in this church. Cry out to God and, and live this life the way we're called to live it. He that loveth his life shall lose it. He that keepeth his life, he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Somebody needs to be that broken vessel that's broken and then filled with the Spirit and held in Jesus' hands and then so broken that all that comes out is Christ. A fragrance of Christ to lost men, to saved men, to each other, in our homes, in our families, to those that, those that claim to know Christ but really don't. A broken vessel that the Lord can pour back out through us. I'm closing with this scripture. Two scriptures actually. In 1 Corinthians 14, it's talking about the gifts of the Spirit here, but I just wanted to read this. It talks about the gift of prophecy, for example, and it says, when an unbeliever comes in, so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. This is what I'm talking about, a broken vessel. That we would be so filled with God's Spirit that when somebody else is around us, they're going to know that they've had an encounter with the Lord. Not a Christian pastor, not a youth pastor, not a music group, but with Christ. So falling down on his face, this whoever this unbeliever is, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. Y'all, this this message again, you might say, why are you preaching that to us? You're preaching to the choir, you're preaching to a church full of Christians. I pray you are, all are. It's not a condemnation. I pray you don't leave here feeling condemned. But if you don't know Christ and you've been going through the ranks, so to speak, of growing up in church and, 
and going through the, the Christian activities. You, you have a Christian, quote, lifestyle and environment, but you don't know Christ. He that, hate, he that loveth his life shall lose it. He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. And for those of us that do know the Lord, and yet we're, we got the elephant in the room, and we don't want to deal with it in our children, our teenage children, our spouses, or everybody else around us that claims to know the Lord, and we've seen no fruit, no biblical evidence that they know Jesus at all. We need to love God enough and love them enough. I'd say the first thing you do is fall on your face before you ever go talk to them and find out in your heart of hearts, God, what would you have me to do? Everybody else is patting them on the back. They play on the praise team. They play in the chapel band at their school. And Lord, I don't think they know Jesus. It's hard, isn't it? He shows you that. And then He wants you to deal with that. You might lose your job at the Christian school. You might, whatever. You understand my point? To deal with it. For God's sake, deal with it. In a twinkling of an eye, we're going to be gone and raptured out of here. It could be before we dismiss today. There's nothing hindering or preventing that from happening. It could be another hundred years from now. But either way, this life's short, isn't it? Our time on this earth is short. And this world does not hold my treasure for me. It does not hold a treasure for anyone who's truly born of God. It's reserved for us in heaven. Christ is that treasure. D, you can come. I'm going to close in prayer. And if you want to come to the altar, come spread out, social distance, you know. If you, but find a place to pray. If you want to get up and walk around, there's room over here. And find a place and worship God. And just hear what the Lord has said to us this morning. Don't just say, well, that was a good salvation message for a bunch of lost people. God gave it to our church. Lay hold on it. Lay hold on what he was, he was saying to us this morning. Oh God, we come before you. And Lord, we humble ourselves before you. And I want to begin by asking forgiveness, Lord. Forgive us. I would say I'm speaking for our, our American Christianity. Forgive us for what we have made Christianity in our day. What we call salvation in our day. What we call a right relationship with God in our day. It is a sin. It is not of God. It's not what your word says. And I pray, dear God, that you would forgive us and forgive me as being a pastor. Lord, I don't want to misrepresent you in any way, God. I don't want to wink and pretend there's not an elephant in the room when there is. I don't want to wink and pretend somebody really knows Jesus when I've known him 20 years and there's no evidence of Christ in their life, God. Help us, Lord. Help us, God, to be bold. Be filled with grace in our speech season with salt. Filled with grace, God. Not harsh. Not cruel. But Christ-like, undivided, uncompromising. Help us to be devoted to you, Lord. Help us to be devoted to you in this hour. Lord, those in this body, and those may be listening on YouTube, those that are not, are saved and not baptized in the Holy Spirit, 
God, I pray they would humble themselves before you. And maybe they prayed for years. I pray they cry out by faith again. And I pray, Lord, the giver of this gift, the baptizing the Holy Ghost, that you would baptize them, Lord Jesus, in the Holy Spirit with all the evidence. All of us that are Pentecostal and received that gift as believers, God, we pray this morning for a fresh new filling. Not that we would hold it inside, but it would be a river of life that flows through us to others and will glorify Jesus Christ. I pray for those in this church or those watching or listening that are not born again. They're Christian in name only, but in their heart of hearts, they're not, they don't know Christ. There's no fruit. There's no evidence. And you realize that this morning, because God has kindness convicted you and showed you, I pray you'd humble yourself before the Lord and get it settled once and for all. You can do it right now. Fall before the Lord. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. You say, Jesus, I know that I pretended to be a Christian and I am not. And I want to give my life to you. I want to love Christ first and foremost and above all. I don't want to lose my life in the end, but I want to gain it to eternal life, God. And the only way to do that is to place it, our lives in the hands of Christ. I pray, God, you give us boldness in this day in which we live, clarity of vision, clarity of thought and mind. We would see clearly the calling of God upon our lives as ambassadors for Christ, and we would be about our Father's business with our sleeves rolled up and our hands set to the plow and not looking back, we would be servants of the Most High God. You've given us the ministry of reconciliation. Help us to do it then. Help us to reconcile men unto God through the, this gospel of Jesus. We love you and we praise you, Lord.